Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each fortnight, Mick will unpack rock and roll stories, stories that you probably won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. Before we get into today's episode, it seems Mick forgot to go all Nigel Tufnell and turn his mic up to 11 when recording this episode. The Get Your Rocks Off audio team did their best to salvage the audio and the hilarious stories told more than make up for the less than optimal sound quality. Mick has assured us that he'll be going full spinal tap from now on. So with that out of the way, here's Mick and John. Welcome to uh, another episode of Get Your Rocks Off with me, Mick Wall, and my very, very... Very close friend. Very close friend, uh, John Hotton. <laughs> um, John, so today, I think... Uh, I don't know if you realise this, I was doing a bit of fact-checking. All the facts. I'm all about the research, you know, I'm, <laughs> If I say so... You've never so. just sat down on page one and started typing. No, no. I, uh, any young writers out yeah, there... Yeah, yeah, well, we spend at least two days in solitude and preparation. For Exactly. I mean, I, 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 before I start writing, uh, or indeed doing this podcast, uh, the many, many minutes... <laughs> that go into me actually setting this up and going, so what are we talking about today? Yeah. So during that hallowed period, um, I was doing a bit of fact-checking, and uh, I forgot what I was going to say. It was probably about... Our very good... Well, I know. Let's start at the beginning, anyway. Um, We're going to talk... We're going to do an occasional series. That's wrong, isn't it? An occasional episode in this series on what I'm going to call the greatest rock front men ever. Ever. And we're going to start with a very hard to beat this one. Probably, if not the, one of the all-time classic greatest front men who is... Mr. David Coverdale. Yeah. It was John that came up with this idea, and I thought it was a wonderful idea because um, David is, uh, he's the full package. You know, he didn't start out the full package. This is what's interesting about Coverdale, I think, is the many incarnations he's been through, from his roots to the height of his fame to where he is now. You may kind of see this as a gradual evolution, but I think there's a kind of higher intelligence behind everything he does. I think he's a very smart guy. I think he's been washed along by the waves of fame at certain points. But Coverdale is a very interesting man to think about when you're thinking about rock stars. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, he he, he came from humble beginnings, as so many of them do. Um uh, he, he came from Saltburn on... Yeah, I mean, where's that? Who do, God knows. It's, well, it's in the north of England. The north of England, north. yeah. Yes. Probably further north than that, even. On that, on that bit of the... Yeah, yeah, probably. probably we say probably. If you're listening around the world, just imagine 
as far north as you can get and still be in England on land. In fact, if this was Game of Thrones, yeah. you could you, say he was yeah. in fact a wild <laughs> Yeah, he's over the wall. I mean, he's come from... He is nowhere. He's nowhere. He's sort of... I don't know, what is he, 17, 18 years old, whatever. He goes out and gets a job. He's working in a boutique. He's working in a boutique in Redcar, which is a town, I suppose, people have heard of, because I think there are races there. On ITV, you know, every now and again, you, oh. we're now, yeah, we're now off to the 4.30 at Redcar, you know. Right. Stop what you're doing, off you get your, this is the, and he's in a boutique, and the boutique is called Gentry, which is a fantastic... In the 1970s, boutiques had, had kind of punning names like hairdressers do now, and this one was Gentry. You know, it's a combination of gentlemen and, yeah, whatever. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you go in there to buy your new trousers or your... Oh, oh hang on. <laughs> was it a clothes? I, I always thought it was a hairdresser. No, no, it's a clothes. It's a clothing... It's a boutique. It's a boutique. Sort of a, as a hairdresser, sort of a, yeah, well, Lenny Wolf. Oh, talking of great rock stars, Lenny Wolf was a hairdresser Lenny, of Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. Oh, Kingdom Come was a, an actual hairdresser. Yeah, is that why you had such? <laughs> That's why he had such hair. wonderful hair. Always I mean, so always beautifully. His hair was a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now you know why it was so good. Is that why they yeah. called him the Wolf? The, the, yeah, I expect so. Because I expect so. Or he called himself that. that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Uh, the look. He had the look. He had the look. He had the look. He had the look. Very uh, important. The look. The, the, did Cuff have the look when he started? That's the question. Well, he obviously didn't because that required a bit of work. But we're going to get on to that. Oh, okay. We're jumping we ahead. We're jumping well, ahead. Only a little bit, we're excited. We're, well, we're talking about David Cumberland. Yeah, who wouldn't be excited? I mean, in my career, I started out mainly writing about punk bands. This was in 77. And, um, uh, and that was okay. Rather dull, because they didn't really have much money. Yeah. And even if they did, they professed to be of the street, you know. I didn't get into rock journalism to hang out with people on the street. No way. I'm looking yeah. for a limousine yeah. to jump into. Um, but Coverdale ticked all those boxes. I mean, he was the quintessential, uh, would you like to get into my jacuzzi, take off that brassiere, my dear, yes. rock star. Yes. Um but humble beginning. Well, well, this is where the first evolution, I think, comes in. There's the famous story that when he was snatched up to join Deep Purple from essentially nowhere. I mean, who knows what band he was in before that? He was in the government. Uh, <laughs> what you have to do when you research something, what you have to do is you introduce it very gently so you feel the listener is dis the reader is discovering this. You never just jam it in as a piece of knowledge. <laughs> And the Fabulous yeah. Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another one, something like Vintage Gentleman or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly I'm, that isn't what they were called, but yeah. from memory, <laughs> depths of my research... That's what they were called. But all of a sudden to be in deep purple, you know, and he, and he turns out, and he's almost the finished package. He's got this amazing, wonderful voice. I mean, there's never been any doubt about the voice. Fabulous voice. Probably alongside Paul Rogers, the quintessential English rock blues voice. And he was of that generation where Britain seemed to produce one amazing vocalist after another. Yeah. You mentioned Paul Rogers, Rod Stewart, Robert Plant. Yeah. Um, Ian Gillen, yeah. 
many, many others. Um, so many to, to, many to mention. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he, well, he says it's in his face. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I believe he said it anyway. Do the whole history of Cuff. <laughs> I know you've done your research, <laughs> but he gets into Deep Purple and he rocks up, and he's almost the full package. He's got the voice, but he also has this sort of uh, problem with his eye. You know, his eye's got a sort of uh, 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 slightly interned eye or something like that. Well, you what know? we used to call in the playground one at home, one. At home. <laughs> Something like that. You couldn't quite tell if he was talking to you or not. You know, he's sort of, he's looking at you, but he's not, he's also looking at the guy behind you, if you know what I mean, you know. Unfortunate. And, and, oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, But wasn't there some sort of issue with his accent as well? Well, Well, I think the eye got sorted out by by mr richie blackmore didn't it i thought well that's always been the story that that blackmore see you know altruism your self-interest disguised as altruism pays to have it sorted out so he's not you know so the, the guy next to him is looking like a rock star yeah um but i think didn't they wasn't there also that thing of when he joined the band because he was a penniless former boutique <laughs> slash hairdresser yeah. um wasn't there also this thing where they they said okay well we're obviously very very rich so we're going to give you um uh, a lump sum oh they did that did that and apparently burst into tears see this is like that reminds me obviously of that bit in the metallica documentary you know the oh, uh where, 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 yeah where they give yeah. give trujillo they say you're out of the barrio now brother here's a million bucks because that's the sort of money we've got yeah. and you know yeah he, anyone would break down weeping wouldn't they yeah yeah I would write <laughs> if stars write gave if right lars now. wants to write me a check for right. all the good work back in the day feel free you know you didn't get where you are today without a bit of you know if you actually look at the very early pictures of uh, david with deep purple he's quite often wearing glasses ah yeah uh which you know you would do if you had one at home and one at home. <laughs> because um, they would correct the eyes. That's yeah. what used to happen. Yeah. Um, but what I understand is he was given this money uh, uh, to go and get the gear and the clothes and look the part, but also... Um, now, I heard... I don't know if this is true, but I heard... John told me this, so he's, he's the one to blame. Uh, I heard he went for elocution lessons. Now, that would figure, wouldn't it? Because if you, if you spoke to him any time after... Mm the late 70s yes yeah he had this very ripe you know almost overly overly fruity british voice which i think in turn and this is interesting we'll talk about the the you know the way rock stars essentially invent themselves and they become something other than 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 just the the bloke you know the bloke in the street it's almost you know a mask that you put on you know i think from the voice came the persona you know, came the persona. Oh, but, the you, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you've got the voice all of a sudden, then you're speaking in a certain way. Right. And you, you're thinking, well, you're kind of thinking to yourself, yeah, there's one more jump in the evolutionary phase, isn't there, before oh, that at comes? Least or, one. At, least at least one. At least one. At the point know. where these days he is half man, yeah. <laughs> half MTV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> half lord he's a, the lord of tahoe or something he is, isn't he he is the sort of person who you know whose wife for christmas would buy him a, a, a law you know a title 
a, a fake title from uh, the internet. I'm sure he's got that, you know, Lord Coverdale of, of, Nav- uh, of Nevada yeah. or wherever. I remember uh, your old chum and mine, Ross Halfin. The, the famous photographer. Uh, the, uh, yes. Is he retired? <laughs> I haven't heard from him for years, strangely. No, but he, uh, he, started, he started working very hard. He's yeah. a fantastic photographer. He is, <laughs> he, is, he, he is. I remember him coming back from a Coverdale jaunt once. <laughs> And uh, they, they, this is the eighties. This is this is big. This is Cov Maximus. You know, this is Cov at his peak. He's moved to America. He's got the hit records. He's got the money. He's got the look. He's got this enormous house in Lake Tahoe. Right. Right. So if you know where Lake Tahoe is, you go out of California. You head towards Las Vegas. You come to Lake Tahoe. Basically, it's a serene spot in Nevada. The weather's fantastic. But it's a desert. Let's say, you know, it's a, you're living in the desert right. next to a big lake. But it's lovely, you know. So Ross was apparently there, you know, waiting for Cove to come out and, you know, do the photos or whatever it is. And he's sitting in, in Cove's conservatory or whatever, you know, garden, whatever it is. Whatever, whatever it is, you know, his whatever. But he's close to the outside because he hears this chirping you know this tweeting so jeep 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 you know of the bird the bird song the the english bird song he can hear it. he's sitting there he can hear it and he goes uh coverdale comes out and ross fantastically which it, because it is a plausible question in this context he goes david he says, have you got an aviary and david goes it's a tape dear boy it's a tape <laughs> and he was, and he was playing a tape of English birdsong to set the mood in his Lake Tahoe match. Yeah. So this is the state he's going to evolve to. This is the, this is, this is the point, this is the point he, where he's coming to. Yeah. Rock yes. race, he will. He, he will. He will. After he has been through the many, the, levels. the many levels, and 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 so the the first level with purple is the I think his first or second gig is the California Jam, isn't it? You know, three hundred thousand people, just the three hundred thousand people. Yeah. That's that all. Have, you know, that must have been a squeaky bum. Time. Yeah, I mean, seriously, what does that do to your head? You know, in all seriousness, you've been at Gentry <laughs> one <laughs> month, and then you know the next month you're you're on. 50, 50, yeah. yeah. Gentlemen into tight trousers yeah. <laughs> and possibly doing ladies' hair. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever went on in gentry. I always imagine him like the Warren Beatty figure in shampoo. He is exactly that, you know. Which but you in Saltburn on Sea, yeah. you see, where he'd be riding not on his motorbike through the to the LA mountains, <laughs> but more on his <laughs> up, the, the up the Hovis Street or something. Yeah, here comes yeah. Yeah. Morning, lass. Yeah, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you get <laughs> Oh, yeah. So he comes from that. It's almost a showbiz background. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. He's used right. to performing. Lands in deep purple. He did tell me the story of all of that one day, but we'll tell that another time because we must try and fit in as as much as possible. Now, there is a covered album. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, his first album with Deep Purple, and I was that Deep Purple fan mm. that um, uh, loved, uh, you know, the Smoke on the Water era of Deep Purple, Black Knight. You used to see them on Top of the Pops on. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I actually had the Who Do We Think We Are album, the last one Gillan did uh, and Roger Glover did, and, and it got 
terrible reviews, but of course, as a kid, you only have, you only own like three LPs, and they're all brilliant, you know. Um, but then the next one was Burn, and uh, wow, I remember a, a kid at school brought it in and played it at lunchtime, you know, that sort of thing. And I just couldn't believe it. Blew your tiny mind. It blew my tiny freaking mind. I mean, it was amazing, you know, from, from the track Burn, um, but the two voices. Yeah. It was incredibly wonderful. Is it a baritone? I don't know what it is. What? We'll Whatever it, it is. Call it, yeah. It's probably a multi-tone with an edge of Barry. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. And then at the same time, you've got Glenn Hughes at this higher mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 induced by who knows what, you know, what was going on there. Well, uh, very tight trousers. Yeah. Was going on in the yeah. But the, the mixture of the two, I don't... And of course, Richie's standing there hating every line of it. That's right. Yeah, because it sounds very slightly like it could be funk. <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 of course and the piece de resistance for cov yeah mistreated yeah mistreated yeah she used to go into the boutique in red car <laughs> in fact before it was named gentry <laughs> it was called when it was, when it was a hairdresser it was mistreated, it was mistreated. That a, that's actually a very good name for hairdressers yeah or a, or a kind of nail salon or something you know I, mistreated because it implies you're being treated and you're treating yourself and you're you know it's yeah. very good anyway we'll, we'll, we'll cut that bit out of the podcast yeah. such a good idea I we'll keep it for a, yeah, by coverdale probably right. yeah <laughs> so um but mistreated i remember the first time oh. i heard that and i still get the feeling an echo of that feeling yeah. all these years later yeah yeah just this immense powerful but also subtle yeah i just yeah. couldn't i mean and i loved like I, it was a great era for singers not just british but all kinds and um but that to me that put him at that moment that put him on a yeah, complete yeah. other level and that when you think about it that's pure talent isn't it it's pure talent you know he's not learned this from anyone he's not you know he just knows how to put a song across and he's got the chops to do it <laughs> Now, of course, he enters his entry point into stardom is literally top of the. Yeah, premise. I mean, you don't really. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, it's like signing for you know Liverpool from from Redcar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so, not only is he hurled into this world where they give him what would have been unimaginable money, who knows, probably mm. several thousand, um, to get some clothes to try and uh, sort his eye out um get his speaking because also he has to talk to the audience yes yeah um which in many ways more daunting than the singing isn't it in a lot of ways if they well when brian johnson joined acdc i write about this in my acdc book which is available still to buy <laughs> um uh, when brian johnson joined acdc at the very opening show which is in belgium or somewhere he comes out after the fir first number of something to thank him he's like <laughs> and apparently after the show malcolm young who was absolutely the boss of the band like steve harris mm. in the back he said to him from now on keep your fucking mouth shut mate mm. just fucking sing and shut up the rest of the time which 
sound advice, advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, advice, straightforwardly put. You can't misinterpret it. You can't misinterpret it, and and I think Jono probably did rolled another cigarette, adjusted his cap, and and and, and just said, "That's good. That's good enough for me." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas David. A little bit more application, maybe yeah. a little bit more ambitious. Mm. Maybe just because David also extremely good-looking man. Yeah, yeah, and it's so, you know now it's all coming together, isn't it? You know, he's a rock star. He's out the front. He can handle it. He can handle the studio. He can handle the big crowds. You know, he can handle Blackmore to his right and and you know Hughes to his left. You know, well, what a combination that is. You know, Actually, Hughes to his oh right. well, you, 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 you're splitting here, splitting, splitting legends there. Yeah, whatever. You know, if I'm looking at him, it's the other way around, isn't it? You know, whatever. Well, that's yeah, your yeah, life, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Two, two, Pacey, yeah. He can handle Pacey as well. Everything <laughs> that Pacey can throw Lord. at him, he can handle uh, Lord. Yeah, Lord. Lord, Lord. Yeah, I mean Lord. Yeah, what? A, I mean, you know, there's a guy you didn't mess with. No. You know, you better not get the music wrong with Lordy. He knew. Yeah, he knew proper music, didn't he? He did. Not just a kind of busket like most of your keyboard players, you know. Uh, and also, Purple were a flash band. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they didn't have, part, I mean, apart from Coverdale and, and Hughes, who came mm. from the Midlands, up to that point, they were all London boys. Um, and Ian Gillan once told me that in the early days of Purple, after they made it big, John Lord used to walk around with like a thick bundle of cash, like maybe 500 quid, or in those days probably 100 quid. Yeah. But he used to tuck it into the belt of his jeans so that it, it, it kind of bent over like yeah. that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he used to go to the bar, at the pub, and stand yeah. at the bar and he'd be like, <laughs> who wants a drink? <laughs> And they, I'll have a brandy and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Coverdale would come. Well, I don't. I know he's not George. <laughs> I can't do them all. That. No, I'll no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they yeah. were like, "No, David, yeah. you're in deep purple." Yeah. Brandy and champagne and oysters. Yeah. Um, and why not? We probably did. I mean, you say that persona start to develop, but then it all comes crashing down. Of course. Yeah. You know, purple disintegrates under the wrath of. Blackmore and whatever it was. Well, Blackmore walks out. Black, yeah, because it's too funky. Yeah, it's too funky for him. Yeah, he's not. He, he wants to write sixteenth-century green sleeves. He doesn't want to write my baby. Just whatever it was, you know, mistreated me. My baby rocked my funk. Yeah, all night. Jump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that ain't Richie's gig. That ain't no. I mean, that, that's not the man in black. No, Which no. Which general yeah. has not ridden in on his trusty steed with a lance under his no. arm and a and a magic wand in his other hand to 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 yeah. to um, do blue eyed song. No, no, no. Um, and in fact, the first song he writes after he leaves Deep Purple. Is sixty? Uh, uh, look, you you talk about research. That is how you slide research in, <laughs> not as you heard earlier. Yeah, or read on your phone <laughs> earlier. 
um, which I would never do. No, way. no, um, don't talk about Wikipedia. Always double source. The first thing you taught as a journalist, always double source. Well, that's what I do. I look at yeah. Wikipedia and I, I <laughs> and then you think, was th- is that right? Yeah. Personal life, and they click on career. Yeah, double, double source. source. Double sourced. <laughs> double sourced. Um, so, so yeah, so Blackmore leaves because, and I think that actually this is interesting because at this point, Coverdale, who as we now think of him, uh, is at like the lord of the manor. At this point, he's still the new kid on the block. Yeah. And, and it was him and Hughes that were pushing for this more funky angle. But if you think back to 75, and, and, I, and I, I can attest to this, um, that was the moment when rock became very, very interested in funk. Bowie did the Young Americans album that year. Uh, Elton was doing Philadelphia Freedom. Yeah. Rod Stewart was doing Do You Think I'm Sexy? Um, there was this, I mean, there was Little Feet, the average white band. There was this moment where, because before that, you know, in a music paper, you'd never really read about James Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bowie or Jagger or whatever. So it, it is a moment where this is cutting edge and Hughes and Coverdale, both being the young guns of the group, wanted it to be cutting edge. Uh, and it was the days before heavy metal. So Deep Purple could be, in their minds, yeah. just as the Stones or uh, even Elton or someone, a serious album artist, could... Uh, play with them sound and try stuff but of course Blackmore was far more in tune with their audience they didn't really like it yeah yeah so Blackmore leaves in comes Tommy Bowling who was Coverdale's choice ah no I did not know that no well um and this is something he told me uh he he petitioned because apparently the group were going to go we're on the verge of going okay that's it because also groups in those days... If they yeah, yeah, years, that, yeah, yeah, you had no expectation that this is a lifelong no, endeavour. No, no, you just no. wake up and form yeah, something else. Yeah. Um, uh, but apparently he... I mean, don't, this guy's only been in the band for two albums. Boutique, California yeah. Jam, Breakup? No. So he goes to John Lord and he begs him not to end the band. And he says, look, there is a guitarist and he plays him... Uh, there's a Billy Cobham album that Tommy Bolin plays on, and I can't remember the, the, the track, but track one, side one, is just this sensational kind of fusion yeah. guitar. Proper music. And on the basis of that, they said, OK, get him in. And then when he arrived, that was when Glenn Hughes fell in love with him, because apparently Tommy Bolin walked in wearing like, you know, ostrich feathers, <laughs> purple jumpsuit or, and his hair was dyed white and blue and, and they just went, wow, this guy's cool. Yeah, he's like C.C. DeVille. <laughs> if they'd known who C.C. DeVille was. This, I can see it. <laughs> they see the future and there's going to be loads of guys like this. Yeah. Kind of like C.C. Yeah. but not as yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, let's not get or, carried or maybe, away. Or maybe, or maybe yeah. better. Yeah. 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 So Bowling comes in and he is literally covered out and Hughes is, they're like, this is us set fair. But the album is a big flop and Bowling, because of his uh, uh, serious drug problems, 
they were all doing drugs because everybody was in the 70s it was normal champagne brandy oysters cocaine it was all the same thing yeah. you just riffled you just riffled your little money bell yeah that's all you did <laughs> yeah um but bowling is all about the heroin and and, and just an yeah. awful lifestyle and of course he starts fucking up on stage and there comes the famous moment was it in cardiff or somewhere rock and roll capital of the world wherever it was yeah, <laughs> as they say as david as david lee rath would say yeah. um and bowling just craps out and coverdale leaves the stage in tears yeah. He cried a lot in those days, didn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, if you listen to the songs, Mick, talking of, he does confess to crying quite often in those songs. And often in the rain. Yeah, in the rain, especially, because then, you know, it's all mingling and it's, you know, it's, it's imagery, it's imagery. It's Have you noticed so you do how it. many rock singers... Cry, some point in, cry in the rain. End up crying in the rain. Yeah, yeah, but Coverdale was the one who f- identified it. Nailed it, you know. He nailed it early. Yeah. What could be worse than crying in the rain? You know, you get you some copyist comes along who does crying in the snow or crying in the hail, but you know, we know when you get covers. Cubs already there. Crying in bad weather generally is worse than crying in good weather. He has identified that fact. But particularly rain, because because that <laughs> runs down your face. Uh, yeah, yeah. So on yeah. one level, and hopefully there's a wind machine as well for your hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you look amazing, even though you even though you're crying, you look amazing. <laughs> Which is the point. Otherwise, why cry? You know. So on two levels, you've got this crying in the rain where. <laughs> You cannot see the tears. Yeah. It's yeah. disguised by the rain. Yeah. But on the other level, the sky is crying with, yeah, with, with you. you. Yeah. The heavens. The heavens. Yeah. Heaven. See, he was there. Cuff had all this stuff. So all of a sudden now, you know, he's, he's, he's on his, well, as you say, he's walked off, he's walked off the stage crying. This is the extent to which he felt it. And it were joking aside, you know, he's, he, yeah, he's, deeply invested in what he does and that's an important thing yeah uh, uh, to the point where um the first solo album he makes straight after this uh, dreadful uh, event with deep purple uh, is called white snake yeah yeah and i don't know if you've ever listened to that record i, I it, all it ever makes me think of is one Donnington when the great Blaze Bailey used it as a chat-up line to some go where he plonks himself down next to this girl and said, so, do you like White Snake? <laughs> but in his voice, obviously. Well, we should remind uh, uh, listeners, who, who are all experts, but may just need a little reminder. A prompting of Blaze Bailey, he was on Celebrity Pointless the other day. Did you not watch it? <laughs> what do you do all day? He was on Celebrity the Celebrity Pointless, Blaze Bailey, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't tend to watch it. I like to watch Has Been. This was, this, was the, yeah. <laughs> this was, yeah, this is, in the UK, Celebrity Pointless on a Saturday night. It's on, it's on, a, it's on at about eight, eight o'clock at night. You know, it's prime time, baby. Wow. Jess, Con- so Jess Blaise, Conrad. Blaze is back. Is yeah, well, back. Jess Conrad was on the same show. He was being, Blaze, yeah, in, in Pointless, you have a partner. Blaze was being partnered by Dave or whatever his name was from Shawaddy Waddy. 
Wow. You remember that guy? Wow. Yeah. Where's this other level? This is other level. Blaze was there, and he was very funny and very good, actually. Uh, as, yeah, he, he's a good, terrific man. So Blaze Bailey was the singer in Wolfsbane, who were the sort of, yeah, the, 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 the Tamworth Van Halen, without a doubt, um, but was then recruited to be in Iron Maiden when Bruce went off to do his many solo things and did a couple of albums with Maiden, I think, and then left and he's now i believe back in wolfsbane where he always should have been in the first place wolfsbane incidentally he were kind of screwed up weren't they by rick rubin they had the you know they were a sensation they were they, yeah they were they, you know they've been chased by every record company they were a great so you know this really hot young british band they did a tour with the choir boys which was a brilliant double header tour yeah. at the time when both bands were sort of on the cusp of being big and and you know from america came rick rubin swooping in and rubin at the time I mean, he'd done, you know, he had Deaf America and he'd done Walk This Way and all of that stuff, whatever. Yeah, was it, yeah. what, what was it he did with the uh, Beastie, Beastie Boys? Boys. The Beastie Boys and Run DMC, uh, wasn't it? And, right yeah. He'd also done the Electric album. Yeah, with the cult. He'd done all the, so it's like Ruby, it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah obviously. So Ruben, so and they and you know so all of a sudden Wolfsbane on the plane to America and the rest of it they're living in LA and making an album with Ruben, which is fantastic. But sadly, when it came out, it just didn't sound like them. You know, it just sounded like Rick Rubin. Yeah. You know, which he had that sound at the time, that very sort of flat guitars. You know, whereas they needed Ted Templeman or someone like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, or Keith Olsen. Yeah, so Keith Olsen. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or Bruce Fairbairn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're going slightly we're, we're off track. Let's get the let's get back to Mr. Coverdale. So his first album, White Snake, yeah. which uh, I have listened to. Um, fortunately, I had the Valium with me at the time uh, because it is the most dour, yeah. self-absorbed. I mean, yeah. I like depressing yeah. music. I mean, I do. I mean, I love. Uh, um, all the depressed guys, yeah. Dark. I all like the darkness. Yeah. I, I like the band Darkness, but I like, I like mm. before the darkness, there was the darkness. Yeah. Love it. You, you're Leonard Cohen's, you're kind yeah, of, yeah, you know, but all those guys. David those sad guys. Heart, despite the wonderful voice, is no Leonard Cohen. No, he needs, he's big, he's on a larger, I mean, in the nicest possible way, he's on a larger scale he's than, they, you know, Cohen is a poet, poetry is about condensing everything down into a single line or two or three lines, you know, it's about that, you know, uh, that you can then read everything from, you know, the yeah. bird on the wire and all of this stuff. Cubs crying in the rain, you know, <laughs> Leonard ain't crying in the rain, you know, Leonard was crying in the rain when he was about 12, you know, he's pushed that imagery aside, but but because because Leonard Leonard may write good, but Leonard don't look good. You no. know, David looks good when yeah. he's crying in the yeah. rain. He That's just yeah point. yeah absolutely. Uh, and also, I, I can't help feeling David missed a slight trick with the title because I can't <laughs> imagine a Leonard Cohen album. What, do you think White Snow? Do you not think he thought about that briefly? Leonard yeah, Cohen. yeah, Leonard Cohen's White think, Snake. I, I don't think <laughs> that would be amazing. No, again, yeah, again, it's it's small, it's insular. White snakes, you know, White Snake. What is a White Snake? Well, we know what it is, but I mean, in general, when you're trying to convince the public that this isn't, uh, you know, a, 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 a double entendre, when you're trying to say, oh, this is a White Snake, you know, well, I, I've I've looked in the nature books, I've done my research, I've looked. At, 
there ain't no white snake. That's not the name of a snake. There's not a snake called a white snake. No. You know, sure? there's anacos. There's a brown snake. Yeah, but there's an albino, an albino snake. Grass, grass. grass snake, but there ain't a white snake. What if you because grass snake? <laughs> It would have been getting on a small scale. Leonard Cohen's grass snake, yes, uh, yes, because yeah, it's, you know, and the imagery, you know, you, you can imagine Len outside in Greece sees a grass snake or something, you know, it's all of a, of a... Yeah, it kind of works, not yeah. quite, but, but a white snake. Now, a white snake, as far as my in-depth, you know, natural history research shows me, he's just a snake big enough for a naked woman to sit astride. Ah, but actually bigger. Well, sit astride, but so big yeah. she can barely yeah, barely <laughs> her legs Yeah, there is a picture that backs this up, I believe. It's the actually the, 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 we, I think Cov found that picture of the white snake and thought that would be a great album cover. Really? Yeah, and then thought maybe even the name of the ah, band. Yeah, out of it. Well, anyway. Yeah. Well, if you, like, you told me once, you said that... Um, uh, white, white snake to him was like his blues name. So you know you get oh like Ryan, Albino Johnson or whatever. Yeah. Ryan Lemon. that's fantastic. White snake covered out. Yeah. Have you ever thought about yourself what you'd be or? I think you know, I'd be more of a old of a Mick Wall. Mick Garden Wall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, do you, the, do you see the garden worm last night down the club? It's amazing. He did the crossroads. Hey, man, the yeah. worm. Yeah. <laughs> the worm, man. The blind worm. Yeah. <laughs> blind garden yeah. worm. Yeah, he's wall. blind and legless. That's what he is. Well, leg. I mean, snakes. You know, legless, obviously. But yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. So he thinks. So he. he, This is a great. This is the best insight we've had so far. David Coverdale walks around thinking of himself as David White Snake Coverdale. That tells you a lot, doesn't it, about what's to come? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think? Do I mean? Do you think that's a symbolic? Mm. Where he came up with it? Would it be symbolic? Yeah, exactly. We don't. We just don't know. I think we have. But when he was. When he was. Giant. The <laughs> giant snake. <laughs> when he was a very attractive young woman, a strike. Well, that, that is the size of a white snake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think yeah. it's the size of David's? Well, no, I can't possibly that big. We'd have seen it, wouldn't well, we? Maybe, maybe to a woman. <laughs> we'll come to a story later where we where we almost do see it. So let's yeah, let, let's, you know. let's, let's, let's forge ahead. So yeah. he does a couple of solo albums. Um, the uh, North Winds as well. Crickets, as they say. Crickets. In other words, silence. Right, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, the old tumbleweed. Tumbleweed. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but he has the seeds of White Snake there because, A, he's got White Snake. Yeah. But he's also got Mickey Moody, who he's written these songs with. Um and then he puts a touring band together, ostensibly for his solo, second solo album. But then at the last minute, turns it into a group entity. And this is where the great Bernie Marsden comes Yeah. In. Um, I can't remember who the original drummer, what drummer was. There was a kind of hodgepodge of ex-camel. Yeah, yeah. Guys just on the stage. Neil Murray rocked up. 
at some point. Yeah. I think it was Colin Hodgkins. Bomber Hodgkins. I thought it was Murray then Hodgkins then Murray again, was it? Or was it something like that it, anyway? It could probably. well have been. Could well have been, I'm probably. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then uh, on the old drums comes... Mr. Cozy Powell, isn't he? Was he there? In, I, I, I don't know if he was there at the start. Well, let's just have him now. I mean, get well, him straight no, in the what band. Happens is, what happens is, is Ian Pace joins the band. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Ian Pace joins the band, and then John Lord yeah. joins the band. So by the time you get to, like, 79, you've essentially got all the good bits of Mark III Deep Purple, but without... Tommy Bowley, who's dead at this point, and without Glenn Hughes, who is also yeah. in a... Indisposed. Smack, smack, uh, indisposed, indisposed, as they say. Musical differences, as it used to be called. Nervous exhaustion. Nervous, yeah, yeah. He was burnt out yeah, from yeah, the road. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. needed three years off. Yeah. To recover, clearly. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so, so, you've got... So, to recap, you've got David on... Vocals, yeah. masterful vocals. Bernie Marsden and Mickey Moody yeah. on guitar, but also songwriting. And you've got... Uh, did Roger Glover join White Sabre? I don't know. Did he? I thought... Oh, no, he was in Rainbow. He was in Rainbow. Was he went off with Richie? And, he did, yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't go off... Yeah. Later. Later, yeah. 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 When Richie needed the old fairy dust at the controls exactly. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember who was uh, probably Neil Murray. Neil Murray yeah. or Colin, one of the other. Yeah. But also you've got Pacey yeah. on drums and Lordy, Lordy, Lordy on yeah. keyboards. Yeah, because people remember, we used to go and see Whitesnake around this time and they were kind of probably up to that sort of Hammersmithodian size at I this point. Yeah, they did. And what would happen is they would come on, they'd do a couple of songs, covered do his, you know, his yo, 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 woo, that. And then would come the drum solo, the keyboard solo, probably the bass solo, whatever. That went on for hours. Yeah. And then they'd come and do a couple more songs, that was it. Yeah, and then they'd do yeah. Ain't No Love. Yeah, <laughs> they do Ain't No Love. We'd all sing along. Yeah, uh, with their arms Ooh, yeah. Ain't Baby. No Love. Yeah. In the heart of the city. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. Ain't no love in the heart of town. Yeah, it was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And he used to go, baby. That was it. Yeah, and, wonderful. And at the end of every show, he would say, uh, uh, I, was it? I fare thee well? <laughs> Something like that. But I used to play Whitesnake live in the heart of the city all the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he used to, that was, he used to go, here's a song for you. That was Here's a song for yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish you well. That was it. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, Hammersmith. Mm. I wish you well. Mm. Um, I'll tell you a great story. I saw them, um, Whitesnake, this generation of Whitesnake, mm. in 1979, springtime. I remember it specifically, and I'll tell you why. Um, at this Hammersmith Odeon. And I had just taken a job at a, a publicity company called Heavy Publicity. Yeah. And uh, they were paying actual money, which is something I've never really <laughs> yeah. earned yeah, before yeah. Sounds magazine or anything else I'd done. So I was leaving Sounds. And the very last review I would ever write was Whitesnake at the Hammersmith Odeon. And I went there. In a, in a spirit of great joy and freedom, because I, I was never, this is the end of my career as a music journalist, and I just felt I would never be held yeah. to account. 
So I just had the most marvellous time writing this review, which basically slaughtered the whole thing. Not because I didn't like it. But no, 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 no. no I Definitely not. Deep love. No, there was deep love. It's like, if it, it, it's only when you really love something that you can get upset yeah. about it. Yeah. And I think what got on my nerves was the fact that it was sort of deep purple light. Uh, you know what? All these years later, I can't even remember what I did. I was probably just a complete twat, yeah. you know, just being an arse. Rock critics. Mm, yeah. Arses. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I wrote this review, and that's it. I'm done. I ain't never coming back, right? And then um, a few months later, listening to the radio in the kitchen on a Sunday, uh, there was there was some kind of magazine program, and Coverdale was the guest. And he's, you know, being very pleasant and funny. Yeah. And they say to him, David, you know, you've, you've, you've had your tussles with the critics. Uh, how do you handle it? And, he's, and he was like, he said, um, I never, ever, ever let the critics get under my skin. It's all just water off a duck's back. There was only one time. <laughs> there was only one time someone really got to me. And that was Mick Wall. And I'm like, what did I hear? Yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, he, goes, he goes, his review of when we played the Hammersmith Odeon a few weeks ago. Uh, it, was it? Was he even there? Me? Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's what Coverdale was thinking. Was he even there? Oh, right, right. He did goes, he see the same show? Or was he in the pub round the corner, ladies and gentlemen? Or the little backstage <laughs> bar with your old mate? <laughs> who was your old mate well, who worked in the... Yeah. Yeah. But no, I really was there um, in the balcony. And he said... He <laughs> the balcony. Line, and I can't remember precisely what it was, so I have to paraphrase. But he basically said, um, all he had to do was call my wife ugly and he would have completely <laughs> destroyed me. And I didn't think he did say me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so that got buried and then cut to five years later, of course I'm back, writing yeah. about rock band. Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, Neil, you know, Neil Murray, the bass player in Whitesnake, who was always at every gig yeah, in London. Yeah, you know, we used to King Ligger. Total King Ligger. Um, but he became very matey, and this is yeah, kind of lovely man. He really got matey with yeah, Roxy. yeah. But Neil was great. And one day I, I did, uh, I was interviewing him, and I I said, you know, it's really weird. And I told him the story. He went, oh no, we know. We he still talks about yeah. you. I went, what? He went, yeah. He said, when you first appeared on the scene writing about us. Coverdale said, watch this fucking guy. He's poison. <laughs> he got that. It's so he right. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. All he, if, he should have rung Axel at that point. Could have saved us, could have saved us all a lot of pain. <laughs> Spreading love. Yeah. Guns or knives. <laughs> anyway, so um, the early White Snake, they were magnificent. Mm. I mean, uh, full fear loving. Oh, I wrote some tremendous songs. Here I go again. Oh, you know, again. really, really good stuff they used to write. Blind Man. Yeah. That was a good one. I remember it. Uh, so, soldier like a blind... Like, that was deep. Like a blind man, I can feel the heat of the sun. But like a blind man, I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> Can he that's a few... Why uh, I, that's I why you ain't know. Leonard Cohen, mate. And that's... Uh, was it the sun? I, like a blind man, I can't tell... It gives me so much pain. 
I end up crying. Yeah, yeah there you go. He was like the sun. Never like the sun. <laughs> no. Even though he then decided to live in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. But you we, know, bird, uh, English, English bird song to remind him of the rain, yeah. remind him of the good times. <laughs> So, uh, White Snake have a, 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 a good career. They've got, they have a good career. They have a good, when do you think, Mick, that, because I remember that era was when I was becoming a fan and you, you sort of your big bands at the time were still easy to keep a hand on. It's like that old, uh, Dr. Johnson thing of him being the last man to have read everything. Back in the day, if you were a rock fan in the sort of late seventies, early eighties or whatever, there was a chance you could hear everything, oh, wasn't yeah. there? Because you could start with Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and build a collection. You would have pretty much heard all of the heavy metal that was out there. There was, you know, you had Judas Priest, you had Rainbow, you had White Snake. These people are getting, they're getting on top of the pops, yeah. which is, you know, pretty big for rock bands in those Since days. Yeah. Since you've been gone. Yeah, and cover replies with, you know, fool for your love no more. I was born under a bad sign. <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, great stuff. You can quote song. it. It's a That's great nice song. So, and, and weirdly, David thought it, I don't know what you're going to say. David thought it was such a good song. He'd re-record it several times. He did. I mean, why he did, yeah. Song yeah, well, yeah. Why not make it better by having Steve Vai play on it? Yeah. 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 yeah, no. I th- I, yeah well, that, yeah, we'll come to, we're going to come to all this. Steve kind of ruined the vibe. <laughs> well, you, some may say that, you know, he, but he then, <laughs> he then went and gigged with Leonard Cohen and it was all good. Yeah, no, no, listen, but, I doubt another no, one in my admiration. No, no, no. So, but, but, but the point I was going to make is there were just a few bands doing this. And then all of a sudden you got 1980, new wave of British heavy metal. And that to me, I mean, I don't know, I, I, as I say, I was only just kind of becoming a fan. But that seemed to shift the goalpost quite radically. All of a sudden, it wasn't a narrow field anymore, and White Snake sort of felt like they might be being left behind a little bit in well, the in the early eighties. Yeah. Background. Ooh, yeah, but we'd moved on to Iron Maiden, yeah. ACDC, Judas yeah. Priest, yeah. and this was faster, harder. Um, it was the next generation on. Yeah, you've got yeah. Halen in America. Yeah. So Coverdale's now thinking, where do I stand? Where do I, you know, what happens to me in the midst of this? Am I now the old, am I, am I now an old man? Am I, I'm sure all of these things go through your head. They would naturally for anyone. You meet that, reach that kind of mid career point where you go, you know, well, am I, is there another reinvention inside me? Is there something? And he does start to reconfigure the band. Yeah. Mel Gary comes in for yeah. a while, but the big move was getting in John Sykes, yeah. who just yeah. uh, just had a great success in the UK and Europe with Thin Lizzy and their final album, Thunder and Lightning, um, and who looks like... like yeah, all of a sudden... He, he, yeah, he's next generation. But, but probably better than that, because at this point, Coverdale has still got the old leather snakeskin tie, yeah. you know, and the yeah. black jeans. It's That's not... True, yeah. You know, he's, his, he's, hair's his hair's still bright. Yeah, he's, you know, he's not what we come to think of when we think of David Coverdale. Quite yet. And interesting, in a, in a kind of interesting future echo uh, that would reoccur, say, with Vi, when they brought John Sykes in, because that album Slide It In, yeah. one of the great <laughs> album titles yeah. of all time, along with Slip of the Tongue. Yeah. Um, when Slide It In came out uh, in Britain and Europe, 
it hadn't different uh, to America. Uh, it hadn't come out in America. Mm. Geffen signed the band and did what Geffen do, which is they uh, kind of uh, brought it up to date. Uh, slightly different cover. But they also, and I don't know how they did this or even if they really did do this, but I remember the story we wrote in Kerrang! was uh, John Sykes had come in and read. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they said. Which is, so they said. Yeah, now, yeah. at the time, I think they maybe said that to promote Sykes. Yeah. And, and, and kind of and kind of marginalise the fact that they got rid of Mel Galley who'd had a terrible accident with his hand. That's right, yeah, he did his hand in. He did his hand in, so I just went, well, see you then, um, as you do. Ruthlessness is another trait well, of the rock star. Yeah. You can't yeah. wait. Time yeah. waits for no man. Yeah. So, but within a couple of albums, it was the opposite. So by 89, the slip of the tongue, Adrian Vandenberg had recorded all of the guitar. But Vi, it was a deal breaker. Vi said, OK, I'll join the band, but I'm going to re-record everything. Vandenberg doesn't appear on that album, yeah. no matter what they say. Yeah. And they said that was because Vandenberg injured his hair. Yeah, yeah. I wonder where they got that idea from. Yeah. Anyway, but back to Slide It In. That becomes their first gold record in America. Right, yeah. This is the beginning of the MTV version mm. that they would become yeah. very quickly. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, that transformation is probably, you're probably right, there was a, you know, I hadn't really thought of that, you know, um, transitory album in Slide It In. You're right, that was quite big, even though it wasn't a great record, I don't think, by Whitesnake's yeah. stand. Love Ain't No Stranger. Love Ain't No Stranger, good song, yeah, which, again, he felt was so good, he might <laughs> record it again a bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They forget. They, they, they don't. Well, obviously, I had forgotten. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that I, was I on there. The Love Ain't No Stranger. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Slide It In. Right to the right top. Right to the top. <laughs> Yeah. I, I always felt he was probably talking about um, um, what did you think well, I don't know well I mean with cover he always left it ambiguous didn't he that was one of, <laughs> one of his great he, uh, traits he wasn't you know. so much the master of he, the again, double on yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly yeah the sort of human carry on film wasn't he at that <laughs> point but he but so, I mean, you're right with MTV, but all of a sudden, the shock, the absolute shock when 1987 comes out. I mean, you heard he's working with Sykes and all of this. You think, okay, Coveter's working with Sykes. He's worked with a million guitarists. What are you going to tell us? You know, he's all the guitarists he worked with are good. He works with good guitarists, you know. He's working with John Sykes. But then, my God, out comes this. And standing there in front of us is no longer the, you know, the snakeskin tie and the black jeans. This new god, you know, the frosted hair, backlit in that classic way, so you can see all the strands, you know. He'd also been working out with a personal trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's got the he's got the tan, he's got the bangles and the bracelets. You know, he's had a makeover, and he looks amazing you know and all of a sudden you feel like this is almost the last piece in the puzzle the voice has always been superb he's always worked with good guitarists but all of a sudden here's this guy who's writing these big anthemic you know 1980s hits this is the stuff that was on mtv this is the stuff that's on the radio huge choruses massive riffs you know coverdale 
always revered Led Zeppelin. He always revered Jimmy Page, no matter what he said at the time. You know, people would, would remark to him in interviews on the, the slight similarities between some of the riffs that appeared on 1987 and, the, and some of Jimmy Page. Oh, no, 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 no. no. You know but, what I but, to say? Because I pulled him up on this yeah. a couple of times. No, darling, you see... Um, it was always Jeff Beck for me. <laughs> That's what you do. That's the classic diversion. Yeah. So go, yeah. If you listen to the Truth album, yeah. I think the next one, Beckola or something, the two albums with... Hi-ho, Silver Lining. Apart from Hi-ho, Silver Lining. He said, look out for that track, Rice Pudding. <laughs> That's where it comes from. And I'm thinking, right, because it's... Because still of the way, it's... Yeah, no, life. no. It's yeah. Rice, rice Pudding, that yeah. Famous, yeah. That classic Beck song that we all oh, yeah. Who doesn't know yeah, Rice yeah, Pudding? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this stuff they come out, and we'll come to that because I'll, I'll tell you the story in a minute of, of how Coverdale schooled me in the art of rock journalism. But, but he, he, he definitely did because, uh, but in order for, that, for, for me to tell that story, we just need to very, very briefly talk about, you know, the videos because this is the other sort of founding part of the current white snake mythology. The video. All anyone remembers, the girl on the car bonnet. Yeah, that's all I remember. Yeah, that's all. Do you know that I used to do a, um, a TV, a satellite TV show in the 80s, late 80s, called Monsters of Rock, and David came on the show to premiere Still of the Night. Yeah. I'd never seen it before. So we're sitting there, we do our bit, and um, it was the only video they had available yet. We had to show Love Ain't No Stranger or mm. something, slide it in for the rest of the interview. But we do this thing on the video, and it's amazing. I'm looking at this girl, and he's sitting next to me, and he, he elbows me, he goes, great piece of ass. <laughs> 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 but it sounded uh, like, you know, obviously, yeah, L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This point. So great piece of ass was just yeah. vernacular. Yeah, but said in this sort of tremendously right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great piece of yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it transpires that this great piece of ass, which we absolutely shouldn't use as a as a, as a phrase in this day and age, because uh, you know we're talking about a human being. But this great piece of ass was, in fact, Tawny Katane. Tawny Katane, who do you know her real name is? Uh, no, again, seem the seamless really? piece of research is coming in. <laughs> I, I don't know what I, do I, I, do, I don't. I don't know what her real name is. What is it, Mick? You Julie. Mean, you mean Tawny isn't a real? No, you see, I, she was always <laughs> yeah. Julie to me. Yeah, yeah. No, she yeah. I, I only yeah. found that out mm. two minutes ago when mm. I googled. But she'd been in LA. She was a girlfriend of Robin Crosby. Robin Crosby from right. Yeah, who I mean, who was a real rock star guy, wasn't he? he? I mean, was a, you know, tall, massive, big, guy. huge guy, huge man, huge man, long hair, and all the rest of it. He always looked to me mm. like like he, he had a couple of guns you know, yeah yeah, yeah. he did, did yeah yeah six guns yeah there. yeah uh it always looked like he should be smoking a cheroot yeah, yeah. with a coke spoon dangling yeah. from his neck yeah. he was the quintessential american yeah circle the wagons kill all the indians rock star. that's right yeah so she'd made a bit of a jump to the quintessential english rock star in in Cove, but they became this amazing power couple, didn't they? It was her legs on the cover of Invasion of Your Privacy. Privacy, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And also, I uh, I think she was very much on the scene 
in LA yeah. in those days. Yeah, in in the early days of Rat, I think when you know when Rat were trying to make it, she was she was Robin's girlfriend. So she has this knowledge of the business and what's going on and what's required and all the rest of it. And she she'd done a couple of movies by then, mm. in call, including one uh, this, that's now described as an erotic. Action. Erotic masterpiece, I yeah. thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> An erotic minor piece. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, no, but, but anyway, so she's a model, she's yeah. an actress, she's a, uh, an LA socialite. Yeah, yeah. She knows the boys. Mm, yeah, and all of a sudden, she's with David, you know, and this is kind of like the queen to his king, you know, all of a sudden, despite everything that's going else, uh, else is going on in 87 and smart move calling the album 1987 as well. Cause it was the peak of that time, wasn't it? You know, it really was. absolutely perfect. You know, and, and, and it was, I mean, it was a much bigger album than deep purple ever had. Oh, huge uh, record. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Era. I mean, single after single on that album as well, you know, so well, that's still, a, I mean, yeah. still of the night. Yeah. I mean, whatever way you look at it, whether it's rice pudding or uh, Led Zeppelin, yeah. that is a fantastic yeah. record. Yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant yeah. video. Sykes, we should mention this, Sykes gone before the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you've got Viv Campbell and Adrian Vandenberg, haven't you? Yeah. Neil Murray on the bass, gone by yeah. the time you had Rudy Sarzo yeah. licking his bass. Yeah. Um, Ainsley Dunbar was the drummer, gone. You've now got Tommy Aldrich. Yeah. The man who would do drum solos with his bare hands. <laughs> yeah. Just... So you got a band, you got an American MTV band backing you up now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Vandenberg, I mean, God almighty, he, he, I mean, Sykes looked amazing. Yeah. Vandenberg was like Sykes on steel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so, so there's still a bit like, then there's, um, is this love? Yeah. Which, uh, Coverdale told me he and Sykes had written for Tina Turner. That's right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it got rejected. Mm. I think Tina Turner, everybody was submitting songs at that point. Yeah. She was uh, huge. Um, so got re uh, he always used to tell me that they did the song and they liked it so much they didn't give it to her. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, yeah. And then um, there was Here I Here Go. Here I Go Again. I mean, you know... The perfectly named song because here he, he, you know, he did go again. Here oh, he goes again. I, mean, I, 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 I love the original, but I do yeah. actually. Yeah, with uh, the with the new keyboards and everything, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, they did the album version, and then they did a couple mm. more versions. Yeah. Of Why not? Why not? Um, I forget the name of the guys, but it was a uh, well known. It was it Nigel mm. Wilson, Yeah, yeah, all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, did you know that John Kolodner um, insisted Coverdale change one line of that song? No. And the original goes um, uh, like a hobo. Yeah, like a yeah, like a drifter, wasn't it? Like, they changed it to yeah. like a drifter. Yeah. Kolodner was concerned that to American ears, it would sound like he was singing like a homo. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, wandered the land. Yeah, yeah. If he did that, that would be amazing if he'd done that. that would... If he called the album yeah. like a homo. <laughs> you know, he could have opened up a whole new yeah, audience yeah. himself. Yeah. A trans snake. <laughs> 
There's still time, David, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. There's still time. Well, he's a great man for reinvention. He might, he might come up, but I, I get it. Yeah. Kolodna, but, but, yeah, yeah Kolodna was always very sharp like that, wasn't he? Very, very, very sharp, you know. And of course, Tori is in all the videos. Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And sm- again, you can you can feel the hand of Kolodna on the choice of Still of the Night as the first single. You know, it's not going to be the big, big hit. It's, you know, it's not the real radio, but it's the establishing song. It's the massive sound. It's the big riff. It's the, you know, the, it's the one that the rock fans are going to go. Except, yeah, yeah, the rock fans are going to get, wow, this sounds amazing. This is massive. And then you get Here I Go Again and Is This Love and all the rest of well, it. it you know. credibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Kolodna was brilliant at that. Brilliant Absolutely. at it. You know, Absolutely. really had a plan in his mind for this is the way it's going to go. You know, and Coverdale had delivered him the right album for him to go and do that with. And that really was the optimum moment for a record like that. Uh, by the time it comes out, I think spring, 87, um, Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi, yeah. which had come out about seven months before, is the biggest rock yeah. album in the world. Yeah. But 87 comes out, and it's it's almost like, it's almost like no, this this is covering that area, but it's this is the real deal from a guy who really comes from that authentic, yeah, uh, original seventies rock uh, world. Um, at the same time, you've also got Def Leppard, yeah, release Hysteria in '87, and again they went with Women as their lead track because that was the big rock, number. yeah. Yeah. wasn't a hit for them in America, but it re-established their credentials. Yeah, we're a rock band. Mm. And then they put out, you know, all the other pop singles that were huge hits. But also in 87, you have maybe one of the records that that begins the, 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 the wheel to turn towards the 90s, which is Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Makes no impression mm. at all in 87. It's nearly a year later. Yeah. It suddenly is the biggest album in the world. But for a while in 87, it was Bon Jovi, followed by White Snake, followed by Def Leppard. White Snake and Def Leppard were touring America around about the same time because the tours went on forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they told me that um, Coverdale, because he was always about a week ahead of them, would leave messages on the dressing room walls. Um, gentlemen. Yeah. Welcome. Well, <laughs> please, <laughs> we've tied it up. Please, please leave it as you find it. <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> so he was, at this point, he is, because, you know, God love mm. Joe Elliott, fabulous front man. Uh, God love Axel, God love jo- I mean, Coverdale is, He's like a Roman gladiator. Yeah, yeah. He is a king on his... He is, yeah, he, he is, at this point, he is the full package, isn't he? He looks amazing. He's got the genuine rock credentials. He's got the L.A. band. There used to be rumours going around. I never knew how true this was. You know, when you, you used to go out to L.A. and you either stayed in the the uh, Sunset Marquee or the or the Hyatt House, but there was a hotel called the Mondrian. Do you remember that with the with a sky bar? Was it the sky bar? There, there was always a rumour that Coverdale owned part owned the Mondrian or something. He did. There you go. He and did. It wasn't why, just a rumour. There ain't no love in the hearts. Oh. From nineteen eighty seven. 
they're all shot at the Montreal. Are they? Are they shot at the Montreal? Yeah. Are they? Yeah, yeah research. There's a one where she. Well, I never got. I never got in there. Obviously. You never stayed at the Montreal. No. Montreal. No way, Montreal. man. Sunset Marquee. If I was lucky, the Losers Hilton, as it was known. <laughs> The Montreal was almost across the street from the Hyatt. Yeah. Because um, I remember I was staying there, mm. I had to go and interview Slash, and he was only staying at the Hyatt. Yeah, well, yeah, so was I, probably, yeah. Uh, so we came back to my... You say only the Hyatt. Well, you know, it was a bit of a B&B <laughs> compared to Montreal. <laughs> Yeah. It was, it was. Because Montreal had the Sky Bar. Where everyone wanted, yeah, where everyone so, wanted to go, yeah. So 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning, me and Slash are sitting uh, in the Sky Bar, looking out over the pool, and there's a glass mm. wall. And suddenly, no kidding, there's about 30 of the most beautiful young women you've ever seen in your life in bikinis, all pressed up against yeah. the bar. Slash! Slash! Mick, Mick. Yeah. Yeah, there were a few, obviously, obviously a, few, a few older guys there. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, I saw your show, but I love your writing, man. And you're like, slash, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we digress. So, yes, yeah, so here is Coverdale in LA living the dream. And also, very uh, much the dream yeah. turns into reality. In other words, because mm. him and Tawny. Uh, are, um, are married, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they, they get married. They yeah. start out as an item, this great piece of ass. Mm. And Coverdale, the king of rock and roll. Yeah. And and now in real life, of course, and now they're, they're like Beckham and Posh. Became yeah, nine. because there was a... Who did the amazing photo session? Was it Ross or it Ray Park? It was Ross. On the beach in LA. I mean, it was just one of... There's a little sort of... You know, there's a driftwood fire, and you know, Tawny's in the bikini and covers it. I think he was in a lounge suit, wasn't he, or something, or not like a dinner suit yeah, with a little. Yeah, he, yeah, he looks amazing. Yeah, and they're on the beach. She yeah, wasn't just, in much of anything. No, of course she, not for the whole 1980s. Uh, she must have been sitting on the sand because yeah. the picture <laughs> I remember yeah. still has sand on yeah, the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the picture I remember. Yeah, that's the one from that photo session. But yeah, but it's this whole thing. And the other thing he did, which I'd be interested in hearing about, because as we, you know, as we mentioned before, LA in that time was a great sort of social scene. You mentioned being with Slash and all these people. Coverdale seemed to understand the value of rarity as well. He would, he wasn't a ligger. He wasn't the kind of guy who'd turn up at everything. Right. You wouldn't see him everywhere. You know, so he had that, you know, you say like, like being a king. You'd only see Coverdale occasionally. You'd see David Lee Roth more than you would see Coverdale, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. You'd see Axel all the time. You'd see the Black Crows or those guys, you know, but you wouldn't necessarily see Coverdale because. Well, he, he, <clears throat> By 89 and slip of the tongue, mm. um, he and Tawny were married. Didn't you go and visit them in their penthouse? Well, this is, this is, well, this is when he schooled me in the art of rock journalism. Right. This, this is when he had his, Steve Vai joined the band. And they kind of, you know, I mean, you can, you can sort of sense the thinking of where do we go from here? You know, you mentioned that the, the wheel had turned slightly since 1987. He needs to come back with something even bigger than 1987. So what do you, you go and basically buy the biggest guitarist in the world? Vi had been amazing in David Lee Roth's band where he had to do the almost impossible and replace Eddie Van Halen. But he did it. You remember him at the, again, the Hammersmith Odin, amazing shows. I mean, you probably saw Roth in America a lot, but he had this sort of, 
heart-shaped guitar that had two necks that oh, so you would play that you play with either hand and Dave's on a fucking surfboard over the crowd and <laughs> Vi's on this two-neck guitar and like Jesus Christ where can we go from yeah well, so but yeah. it like had two and he's going he's like got about six hands and ten fingers on each hand it's like yeah and Ross flying about on a surfboard going yeah baby you know it's amazing and you can see Coverdale thinking hang on you know who's the biggest guitarist in the world actually who's who's going to be standing next to me maybe the best yeah yeah i mean in terms of guitar i mean you hear guitarists go on about whatever they're going about they always mention right and then satriani and those guys who were doing all that stuff he had the showmanship as well you know because he'd learned i think from roth you know i think he's quite a quiet studious guy isn't he but Roth had probably shown him that, you know, when it's showtime, it's showtime, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, you, you know, the light goes on and you start, you know. Well, I remember thinking that get, getting by into the group was a masterstroke. It was, but it didn't sound great, did it? It no. didn't quite tie together. I mean, Coverdale's got the classic sort of rock voice that doesn't necessarily, you know, in the way that Roth's voice went with Vi because he was used to singing with Eddie Van Halen and he's used to giving him space and he knows that, you know, Ross, you know, love David Lee Roth, but he's not a great singer, singer, you know, he can, he knows how to put a song across, but he's not a great singer, singer. Whereas Coverdale's a great, you know, singer, singer. And really you only need one of those guys on stage at once, don't you? You don't need a battle going on for, you know, yeah, you know, the crowd. Some of his best songs, they're not guitar, but so numbered. No, They're just, what they, what they call block chords yeah whatever <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's just a good chord sequence that you can see yeah no and they were, what was the one they recorded full for your loving with with vi was it and it's like you know with the best will in the world bernie marsden or whoever plays it better because he's just you don't that's all it needs you know it's like all right now isn't it you know doesn't exactly. doesn't need a uh yeah, the solo in all right now is amazing because it's just a few notes joined free in 19 yeah he would have fucked up all right now what do you play with like uh, <laughs> yeah, he would because in the end that's what you're buying isn't it when you get steve vibe that's what he does exactly. i'm sure vi probably thought i probably don't want to play it like that right. but they're they're paying for steve vi you know they're playing for the, i remember coverdale well anyway so coverdale by this point is you know the promotion for this album is huge he signed to geffen in america which is the sort of the biggest rock label in the world. I was going to say the hottest, but maybe that's sort of deaf American or something. But the biggest in Europe, he's still signed to EMI, isn't he? EMI Capital. So they kind of get the, you know, they're trying to keep up. They need to keep the goose that laid the golden egg, you know. So they fly him in for press, right? This is the big start of the campaign. And they put him up in a hotel in Kensington, the Kensington, I don't know what it's called, but it, it, it's supposedly got the most expensive hotel room in London. Where else would you put David Coverdale? And uh, Sandra Casali, who was doing his press at the time, was very funny, really love it. Fantastic press officer, very funny. And she, of course, she's kind of playing along with all this because, you know, it, in those days, you had to be seen to be you know conspicuous consumption it had to be seen this was the point it was going to become part of the story that coverdale is in the most but what they did was 
when you sort of went into this hotel, they said David's in the the master suite. Which someone like the the King of Oman or something had been in the week before. You know, you hear all some this lesser, stuff. Some lesser, lesser being sort of booted yeah. him out so Cov could come in. Yeah. And and um, so she said. So what we've done is we've rented another really like the second best hotel room. That's where the interviews will be. You know. <laughs> so but then so you're sitting downstairs waiting your turn. You know because he's doing all the interviews, and then she comes over and goes. David said he wants you to come to the, you know, the main suite, you know, whatever it was. And so you think, oh, yeah, you know, you're puffing, you're puffing yourself up, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, you know, all these other guys are in the, the journalists. <laughs> I'm going to the, and you get in this private lift with the, with the lift attendant, you know, and the lift takes you straight into the room. There's no corridors or anything like that. You get out and this place is like, floor to ceiling glass with views over kensington at dusk it's like it was sort of coming into autumn i think maybe so, so it's this sort of autumnal dusk you expect to see peter pan <laughs> flitting past you know it's this sort of beautiful english scene and out walks cove and without a word of lie he's wearing jodhpurs right <laughs> riding jodhpurs <laughs> and boots like high shiny boots and the white snake is is firmly outlined in the jobpers as it would be, you know. Really? And he's got a little sort of hacking jacket on, you know, like a sort of... And he is the country scholar, but he's still got the hair. The hair's majestic, you know. And you know what? You know, when you interviewed Coverdale, he had a wonderful trick of he would always use your name. Oh, yeah. So he, even though you kind of knew he didn't know you from Adam, he would say, oh, John, how wonderful to see you. And in every sort of first sentence to every sort of second or third question, he would use your name because it was making... And you start to puff up and you sort of, oh, this is great. And then halfway through the interview, hear this door open. And out comes from the bedroom. Yeah, in almost nothing but lingerie, Tawny Kitane. And he gives this great line. He goes, uh, my wife's been lying down because she's been shopping. <laughs> and I'm looking at her and this is, this is now like an MTV video. You know, she looks amazing. And Coverdale's giving me all these great quotes. He comes out, he goes, uh, we're talking about Steve Vai. You know, he goes, he's making the greatest sonic tapestries since Axis Boulder's Love. <laughs> He does, yeah. So I come out of this interview thinking, I go out to the office, I'm going, lads, I've got it. I have nailed, I've got the interview, you know. Everyone else is in the lessons, you know. I've gone up to them. I've done this, I've done that. He told me this, he told me that. To me. Write it all up, you know. Waiting for it to come out, of course. The Q interview comes out. The sounds interview comes out. The enemy, in, everyone's got the same thing everyone's got the same quotes everyone's played the same game and it was just coverdale making everyone feel like they were getting something special but they were just getting the standard interview that he'd worked out weeks ago what he was going to say had all the lines i'm sure tawny came out of that bedroom about six times you know at the appointment but it was a masterpiece of staging and it taught me you in journalism you always have to look beyond that you know you have to realize when that sort of thing is happening to you did, did he did he call you jonathan I don't think he did. He might have done. You know, by the end, he could have called me anything. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> I was thoroughly seduced by, by him and his by 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 white, white snake. Yeah, I'd have gone into the bedroom, you know, if they'd... 
wanted to consummate that. Yeah, had had his wicked way. And he was a very, you know, he had great charisma. He had all the things you want a rock star to have, great lines, you know, he's funny, he looks great, you know. He, he always had this thing, again, I think, to kind of personalise. Mm. Like, he never called me Mick. Was it Michael? Michael, yeah, yeah. Michael. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Um, and it was the same with everybody. Uh, you know, if it, your name was Nick, Nicholas. Yeah. I would call you Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he would. But he was so funny because I remember cutting forward a little bit to when I was uh, the editor on Classic Rock magazine. Mm. This, is a, this is when he had his solo album out in 2000, 2001, yeah. something like that. And... Um, I sent Sean Llewellyn, who's now the editor-in-chief of Classic Rock. She was a freelance for me at the time. I sent her to America to interview David. So I wanted to mm. get a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, being David, he expected me to turn up because you're the editor. Mm. Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, I think. Yeah. You know. Um, and uh, Ross was there and everybody taking the pictures. And Ross told me, he said it was fantastic. <laughs> Coverdale went over to Ross because Sean hadn't turned up and she's turning up to interview him in a moment. He says, Ross, who is this woman? Sean, who is she? And Ross goes, she's standing right behind me. <laughs> and he turns on a six and goes, Sean, <laughs> darling, I've been expecting you. And it's all yeah. kisses her hand. Yeah. And Sean's like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Who is this woman? Yeah, Sean, darling. See, he tremendous, <laughs> tremendous charmer. The old snake charmer. That was him. You know, but you know, to to, to again jump up. So he does the album, and there's this then this kind of decline, isn't there? Because yeah. uh, you know, grunge comes along, and he, he, it wasn't a sip sold over a million. Yeah, I mean, it's still you know. eighty seven had sold eight million. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then there are a lot of bands like that who were kind of, you know, they set their stall out in the late 80s. Where do you go? Once Kurt Cobain turns up in a bloody jumper he's got from Woolies and a, you know, oh, I've been living under a bridge. <laughs> Coverdale ain't living under no bridges, no, you know, no. white snake or not. You know, Coverdale was crying in the rain. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. No, <laughs> he didn't want to live under a bridge. What do you want to live under a bridge for? But here's what he does, which I thought was smart. Mm. He vanishes. Yes. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't do what Bon Jovi did or Def Leppard did and kind of tough it out. Yeah. I'm not saying they were wrong. I think they both did a great job of it. But Coverdale just vanishes. Like you mm. said, he doesn't turn up everywhere. Yeah. He's yeah. Gone. But when he comes back. It's it's rather magnificently. It's with Jimmy Page. Yes, Come yeah. Down. Hey, yeah, yeah. And you, this again was you know there were, it was just fantastic because it was you know you you get the impression Coverdale's whole career has been slightly tongue in cheek. Yeah. However much he cared about it, and this I is like, I like the idea that his his whole career is slightly tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You were slow there, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, was, I, was, I was too pleased with myself. But he, <laughs> but he suddenly, you know, here he is with the original, mm. the one he's been aspiring to, you know. he Coverdale is one of the great English-British rock singers, one of the great English-British rock stars. But until now, he was never Robert Plant. No. You know, and now um, he gets a chance. Now he gets a chance to be a great shot because it'd be interesting, and you you can could could assess this far better than I could. 
you know, plants off in his face where he's in the desert, isn't he? Go, you know, discovering, hanging out with tribe. Yeah, discovering yeah, other the great mountains. Yeah, which is which is, I guess, you know, his way of dealing with what happened in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. You know, Jimmy's way of dealing with what happened in Led Zeppelin was to curate the legend and to try and find a way of continuing it without you know without being in the band so, so what was jimmy's motivation in getting david is almost you know we know what david's motivation in getting jimmy is what is the other what's the i, I think because he, he needed a plausible front name i mean mm. I, I i knew jimmy in those days and his manager in those days brian good had asked me for quite a long time to recommend a singer Right. Because Jimmy had basically been waiting for Robert to agree to a Zeppelin reunion. And it kept coming close and then go and then close and then go. And um, it was really hard to think of someone. And, of course, Kolodna, his John Kolodna, his genius, because Jimmy was also signed as a solo artist mm. to Geffen. They signed him because they thought Zeppelin would get back together, and when they did, they'd have the jump on everybody yeah. else. But it didn't pan out. It was Kolodna that said, well, Coverdale's career in Whitesnake is definitely on hold. Jimmy, you've done sod all since your, your, your solo album in 88, which wasn't a great success. How about the two of you? Mm. I think they both just went great. Because Jimmy, Jimmy's a rock star. Yeah. Jimmy has no problem with Led Zeppelin. It's only Robert that got fucked up about, oh, I can't be taken seriously because mm. I see it as cock rock and blah, blah, blah. Jimmy, zero problem. Yeah. Very happy to go back to being the biggest rock star in the world, you know. Uh, and if that means women, caviar and salt, yeah. then so, so, so be it. Yeah. So be it. That's yeah. the price you have I, to pay. Yeah. Um, And so they do this album which I still think is a great album. But again, it reminds me of a story. I don't know how well you remember the album, that what, there was a track on it called Feeling Hot. <laughs> right. Not not Feeling Hot, Hot, Hot. They didn't re-record that. Very close. Right, yeah. I remember the lyrics when... <laughs> I remember the lyrics when... Women to the left! Women to the right! Something, something, something. Women all night! Women all night! Women uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, feeling hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sandra Casali, who comes back <laughs> into the story, yeah, she told me, it was brilliant, she said when she was, in those days, cassettes, when she was sending out promo cassettes, mm. she deliberately deleted that track. <laughs> <laughs> the rest uh, of the magnificent. Good, yeah, yeah. But in the middle of it, you got this, women to yeah. the left, <laughs> women to the right. Fantastic. Feeling hot. It's yeah. like these two old men singing about feeling yeah, hot. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It's just, no, uh, yeah. Nah. But this is the interesting thing, isn't it? You know, to us, the partnership of, of David Coverdale and Jimmy Page mm. is almost hallowed. You know, it's like you've got the two... But again, set in the context of the times, it's two old men. Yeah. You know, it's two old guys. Yeah. You know, very long. Yeah, hunt. yeah. At the same time that there's Eddie Vedder and there's you know, uh, Stone Temple Pilots bloke, whatever it is, Scott Wyland. Scott you know, Wyland. pretending he's David Bowie. You Chris, know, Chris, Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell, wonderful singer. You know, a generation younger, two generations younger yeah, than very these guys. Serious, you know. Yeah, they won't. They won't come back to the <laughs> 
Where did you sit around? Yeah, oh, I yeah. hate it. I want to yeah. kill myself. But yeah, <laughs> for me, he genuinely did. I used to, but the, you know, there's, uh, there was that sort of fundamental dishonesty, wasn't there? It was like, like Veda, where they go, oh, I hate this. Yeah. I hate being in a, you know, multi million yeah. I hate it. I hate being a millionaire. Yeah. With these women, it's horrible. I don't, yeah. I don't want it. No, I want to go back to Seattle where it's yeah, raining. He really, he really, really no, he really did cry in the rain. Yeah. He really was yeah. crying in the rain. Rain, Eddie, yeah. you know. Well, he didn't even need the rain. He, didn't, he cried anyway. He, he just was. He just, yeah. he just was a cry. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So there was all that. But here come the guys who want to be rock stars. You say, they are Jimmy, stars. David, they're rock stars. They've got a certain constituency. They know who it is. And yeah. they were. Some, and the album was top five in America. Yeah. Top five. It went platinum quite quick, quickly. Yeah. Um, and they had a big US tour booked, and they had to pull the plug because ticket sales were, as they say, soft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they, it was. They, well, they went to Japan. You'll probably remember this because we were both working on Raw magazine at the yeah. time, weren't we? And they went to Japan because obviously they were big in Japan. Of course, well, of course they're going to be big in Japan. <laughs> Japan loves, you know, rock Japan stars. Loves yeah, they love rock. Yeah, yeah. And larger I, than life. Mm. Even if you have to go on stage at about five o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> you know. But. Uh, yeah, they do. And, and they're massive. And somehow, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but this tape works its way back, doesn't it, to the UK? Oh, yeah. Where Coverdale, right. yeah, yeah, where Coverdale has done these introductions. Do they not have a row or something? Him and Paige had a row. Because yeah. Coverdale has done all these stupid, in- you know, I, I guess Plant was always, you know, and this is <laughs> Stairway to Heaven or whatever, you know. Whereas Coverdale's right, here's a song for you. How's your fucking Genki? That was one of his <laughs> lines, isn't it? How's your fucking Genki? Is Genki a Japanese word? Maybe it is. Who knows? He comes up with all these faux phrases. You, know, you can imagine because he's loving it. He's with Jimmy Page. The crowd's going and nuts. Way pre social media, yeah. He has no idea anybody will ever hear, yeah, 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 yeah. So he does all these sort of intros, doesn't he? And then was Paige, well, I remember we got someone to transcribe them, some, yeah, some, yeah, uh, yeah. So we got a a Japanese translator to, you know, say what all these intros meant, and and it caused a massive hoo ha for some reason. I can't remember why now. He later released. A, a live album called Starkers in Tokyo. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. I think that might have been White Snake. Yeah. The old memory begins. Yeah, it begins to fade at this point. So, St. John, conscious of the time. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering if we um, uh, need to kind of s- to, to conclude and summarize. Yeah, well, I think I, think I would summarize it like this because in his decline after the page thing fell apart career decline. career decline and and he had he hit a real low point and i remember and i don't know when when this would be it'd be the early 2000s i went to see white snake and they were at the shepherd's bush empire can you imagine what that was like you know he's been in the biggest bands in the world since he was 17 or 18 or whatever it was we shouldn't explain it's a lovely theater it's a a lovely little theater if that you know it's got an upstairs and a downstairs and it's lovely i mean if you're doing you know uh death of a salesman in it it's fantastic you know it's doing uh yeah it's that sort of venue it's where a big if you're in a big band you're doing it because it's a big treat and it 
it's 200 quid a ticket and you're doing you know, it's not just like so the free, free. yeah yeah it's, yeah free yeah very expensive yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah exactly which is pretty much everyone yeah but you know covered a <laughs> this is the london show mm. you know this and i went and saw it and honestly honestly it was like seeing a panto it, it, you know, he was like widow twanky. It was, yeah. it was, here's a song for you, but it was done with a sort of, yeah, a bitter sort of disdain, you know, and, and, and it was terrible. And then something happened. I can't remember what it was, but th- the fortunes change once again. The wheel turns back. The classic rock era. The classic, the classic rock era kicks in. Next time I see him, they're at Wembley Arena and I had those sort of press tickets. Uh, the Wembley Arena, which used to be at the side of the stage. Do you remember? So you get a side on oh, yeah, view yeah, yeah. of a, yeah. And this is, this is like 10, 12,000 people. Yeah. So I walked in. First thing I, first thing I hear when I walked in was this American girls and it's Y and T, Y and T with the support oh, really? band who were fabulous. You know, they were really, <laughs> really wanted to hear that and had old Leonard Hayes on the drums. So I think it's passed away now. It's a, this great kind of, right. you know, drummer they used to have and then white snake come on and all of a sudden it's dry ice again it's here i go again again i think probably even adrian vandenberg was back in the band or something right, you know right. and covered has got the look and he t- in the middle of the set he tells this brilliant very funny story about now being a grandfather he'd just become a grandfather his daughter had had just had a, a baby and it was very funny, but it was also, you know, it was really nicely done. And I just thought, you know what? This is a rock star. This is a guy who does big arenas. Yeah. That's what he's built for. Yeah. You know, he doesn't work at any other level. That's the level for him. And you get bands like that. The same you get bands who are brilliant in clubs, but would have no idea at Wembley Arena because he, he, he is like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Don't take yeah. that car on your school run. No. Go and get a pint of milk or yeah. something. Yeah. You take it to drive across you do. the desert with yeah. all you can take. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. As someone once told me, fast cars look fast. And that's, a, you know, that's Coverdale, you know, that's, yeah. That's wisdom. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I spoke to him not so long ago, <clears throat> and um, as you say, I mean, they've been back on top for a while now. Uh, they did co-headline tours with Def Leppard. Mm. They're just those package tours. I, I saw Jer- the Journey and Def Leppard tour in America a couple of years ago. It's just a great night. Out. Yeah, yeah. No one's playing any new songs from their album. Yeah, it's just all the hits. And um, so I was chatting to him about this, and it, it's so fantastic. He said, and he was talking about the whole rejuvenation, how everything mm. was going right, mm. and he said, Michael. I have bluebirds flying out of every orifice. <laughs> bluebirds, Michael. Every orifice. And I was like, laughing. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's just on top of the world. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, for one, I'm really pleased. There's been all this kind of, does he have augmentation on his uh, live vocals? Well, I'm not going to comment mm. on that, but I am going to tell you this. Uh, which I'm sure you know anyway, but pretty much every major rock vocalist frontman in the world today, and I mean pretty much all of them, in fact, I'm going to say all of them, have augmentation. A, because it exists, and Neil Sean from Journey was telling me, if you don't do this stuff, 
you just sound terrible compared yeah. to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just vocals, it's harmonies, keyboards, beds, as they say, musical beds. Yeah. Yeah. So all that taking all that into consideration there are two vocalists I can't say right now so I don't want to get sued but two really famous really famous ones that actually have a singer in the wing wow yeah wow yeah well I remember the old meatloaf one when he <laughs> poor old meatloaf oh, yeah. fainted and he went down bang on the floor and I would do anything he's still carrying on he's on the fucking stretcher in fact he's out yeah, yeah he is yeah. But, like, yeah that's on YouTube yeah you see him literally fall over flat on his face yeah. in the background oh he's still singing he's still singing <laughs> he's a true yeah yeah, yeah, yeah went out he? yeah went out on his shield good man yeah. Yeah. all right well we're gonna we're gonna uh, call it a halt but you, well, hang on, you didn't finish the story you were saying you were saying uh there's two vocalists who have people in the wings oh yeah but coverdale you, oh but, you know. co but, but oh sorry coverdale i don't think has anybody in the wings but, no no uh, but even if he did so what? it doesn't matter he's been a great singer and if so what if you, when you're in your mid-60s you can't sing of course you can't you can't play football like you could in your mid-20s but i tell you what else i suddenly remembered is uh, another i think great reason for doing this today is that uh, the day this podcast goes live is actually just two days after David's birthday. Um, 69. Wow. Uh, he's been waiting to be 69. Ah. So, can you imagine how he's going to have some fun with that, isn't he? Soissant. <laughs> <laughs> he's finally at the perfect age. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday, David. If you liked this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you happen to listen to it. For full episode show notes, visit nofilter.media forward slash getcharocksoft.